Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Main Street Finance Podcast. I am, of course, Alex, your host, and today I want to do a deep dive into the math of whether it is better to rent or to buy a house. We're going to go into the points you should look into, the numbers that will help you make the decision, and I am going to go over my personal numbers to give you a case study of the framework of how you should look at this. For listeners that have been around for a bit, you know that I purchased my first home back in March. So I went to my bank's website, reset my password because I had already forgotten it, pulled my statements and loan docs, and I'm going to give you my actual numbers and tell you my thought process as I made the decision to go from renting to buying. So stick around. You're listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast where we take the Wall Street bull by the horns to help you achieve your financial goals. Whether it's budgeting, investing, or financial independence, we tackle the big questions in the pursuit of financial literacy. And now, your host. Alrighty, everyone. And before we go into the specifics of my move from renter to homeowner, let's go over some reasons on the why you might consider becoming a homeowner. The first thing is that you're not going to have a landlord anymore. For some people, that reason alone is going to do it for you, as there are some rough people in the business of renting homes out there. What goes along with that is the freedom to do whatever you want in the house, with no one except your parents to judge you for your decisions. But then again, they probably did that anyway with your apartment. But, personal issues aside, once you're in a home, you typically have more space than in a house, maybe a yard, maybe a garage. Point is that you might be more comfortable in a home than you'd be in an apartment. Creature comforts of owning a home aside, this is a finance podcast, so let's talk about the money. When you purchase a home, you are buying an asset, a very large asset, which is likely to appreciate as time goes on. Now remember that appreciation means that something increases in value. Something that is fantastic is that you can buy a home with a small percentage of the money down as a down payment and use a mortgage to purchase the rest of the home when you can't afford to pay for the whole thing in cash. With a mortgage, you are able to get this really large asset and pay it off over time and use that to build wealth. With rent, you pay a certain dollar amount per month, which can go up if and when you renew your lease, and you pay that amount for the right to stay in that place for the next 30 days. When you buy a house, you are making one payment, which never changes over the life of the loan. If you are paying $850 a month today, you will likely be paying $850 a month 20 years from now. Now, that payment, unlike with rent, gets split into four or five pieces, and one of those is to pay down your loan. This gives you more ownership value, or equity, in your home. So every month, making your mortgage payment increases your net worth because you have an asset that is likely appreciating in value while the loan balance is decreasing. So even if you don't have a 20% down payment, once you get a mortgage, A piece of every payment you make goes towards your net worth. With renting, you get a place to live for the next 30 days and nothing more. Those are some of the benefits of homeownership. However, do not be fooled into thinking that homeownership is always a good idea. There are benefits to renting, such as not having to pay for repairs and maintenance, not having to pay property taxes, and you are not nailed down to a specific area. When you're renting, you can typically pay a fee to break the lease or, if you're month-to-month, you can leave to go somewhere else like that. If you own a home, you must sell the house if you're trying to move, which can take some time. So you are less able to take a job opportunity that's farther away than what you can normally commute. So renting can offer you more flexibility and typically lower costs. 
but no ownership and no appreciation for when the home's value increases. So before you look into any of the numbers of if you should rent versus buy, you need to look at your finances and your life and ask a few questions. Is there a chance that you may move across the state or across the country if you get the right job offer? Are you planning on being in your area for the next five years or more? Do you have your cash flow in a good enough place to where you can afford maintenance on your home? Is your credit good enough to where you can apply for and get the loan? These are all things that you should think about before making a big decision like purchasing a home. And make no mistake, purchasing a home is a very large commitment and a big decision, so don't take it lightly. Now that we have an introduction to the renting versus buying conundrum, let's talk about a comment that I had briefly made a few minutes ago. When you pay rent, it is a lump sum payment that goes to your landlord that allows you to stay there. When you pay a mortgage, you are really paying about four or five different things at once. Those things are principal, interest, taxes, homeowner's insurance, and potentially private mortgage insurance. Principal is the amount of your payment that actually goes to pay down your loan. This amount is the amount of net worth that you are gaining each month just by making your payment. Interest is just the interest that you're paying on your loan. A way I like to think of mortgage interest is a monthly fee that you have to pay for not being able to have bought the whole house in cash. Taxes, in this case, are property taxes. All people who own land and physical property in a county or parish must pay property taxes for services provided by the county. This money typically goes towards roads, schools, police and fire departments, communications, and other resources that you use when you live in an area. The next is homeowner's insurance. This is insurance that covers your property in case an accident happens to your home itself, or in certain cases, accidents that occur inside your home. Now, whether or not you have the last item on this list depends on your down payment when you first purchase the home. Conventional mortgage loans typically require a 20% down payment, which means if you're buying a $100,000 house, you need to be able to give the bank $20,000 when you go to close and purchase the house. Now, you can still buy a home if you have less than 20%, but what is going to happen is that the bank is going to force you to purchase something called private mortgage insurance, or PMI. PMI is not for you. If you don't make your payments long enough to the bank after you close on the house, the bank will put you through a process called foreclosure, Foreclosure is the process by which the bank takes ownership of your property from you and will attempt to sell it in order to generate proceeds to pay off the loan amount that you still owe them. Private mortgage insurance covers the bank in case the price they sell your house for does not cover what you owe on your loan. So it is insurance that you pay for, but it protects the bank. It is not insurance for you. It protects the bank. Your monthly PMI premium is based on how much money you owe the bank. So as you make your payments and pay down your loan, your monthly PMI charges will decrease as time goes on. In most cases, once you have paid down the loan enough to where you have 20% equity in your home, the PMI goes away and you don't have to pay for it anymore. Now keep in mind, PMI and the rules that apply to it can vary depending on the type of home loan you get. So take what I just said with a grain of salt. Always consult a lender because they are going to know the specifics for your case. So let's go back and talk about that word equity. The word equity means the value of an asset to the owner. The way you calculate it is that you take the total value of the asset and you subtract out any debt that you have on that asset. 
So if you have a car that has a loan on it and you could sell your car today for $5,000, so the value is $1,000, and your car has a loan balance that you're still paying on, that balance is $4,000. Then you have equity in your car of $1,000. So that's the $5,000 value minus the $4,000 loan balance. So you have $1,000 in equity because that is a cash that will end up in your pocket if you sold today. Similarly, if you have a $200,000 house and the balance of the mortgage is $150,000, then the equity you have in your home is $50,000 because if you sold your house today, you would receive $200,000, but you have to pay off that $150,000 loan. So what you would get in a check is $50,000. Therefore, that is your equity in the home. So with that out of the way, let's get back to PMI. Private mortgage insurance goes away once you reach 20% equity. So let's say you went for the ease of math and you bought a $100,000 house, but you only have $10,000 to put up for a down payment. So you get a $90,000 loan plus your $10,000 in cash to purchase the home. So you have 10% equity in the house because that's the cash you put in. And because that cash you put in is less than 20%, you're going to be forced to pay for PMI. So on a $100,000 house, 20% equity means that you need equity of $20,000. So when your loan balance falls from $90,000 to $80,000, then you have reached your 20% equity and the PMI goes away and you don't have to pay that anymore. Okay, so with that out of the way, I believe we have all the background information taken care of, so let's get to the math. A quick note. In case any of you are doing the math in your head, or maybe if you're writing this down as I'm speaking, keep in mind that the chances are this math is not going to add up. For the sake of this example, and because I'm about to throw a lot of numbers at you at once, I am rounding all the dollar amounts to the nearest dollar. So due to rounding, some of this is not going to add up, because sometimes I'm rounding up to a dollar, sometimes I'm rounding down to a dollar. So if this doesn't add up, that's probably why. So, as longtime listeners will know, Last year, I moved 600 miles away from where I grew up to a different state for a fantastic job opportunity that I just had to up and leave. That's a benefit of renting. Because I was renting a house at the time, I was able to put in a notice because I was month to month. I was saying, hey, I'm moving out at the end of next month, and then I was gone. So I moved here, rented for six months, and then I purchased a home in March of 2020. So these numbers are all going to be my actual costs, and besides rounding, I have not changed any of this. So, when my girlfriend and I first moved here, we rented one half of a duplex. We had three beds and two baths for $785 a month. With renting, that's about as complicated as it gets. You just make a monthly rent payment, and none of this, oh, well, I'm going to split your payment five different ways kind of stuff. With a 30-year mortgage, my three-bed, two-bath home costs me $883 per month. So... I'm going from renting for $785 to buying for $883. What that means is for an additional $98 per month, I got an additional 400 square feet, a garage, a large backyard, and all it added was about another 15 minutes round trip on my daily commute. Something to note is that I only put up a 10% down payment, so that monthly payment includes PMI of $49 per month. This means that once I pay my loan down enough to where I have 20% equity in my home, that PMI is going to go away. And when that goes away, my monthly payments go from $883 a month to $835 a month. So again, 
once I pay off my PMI, that's going to be $835 a month to buy a house versus $785 to rent. So we're now around $50 a month more for me to own than to rent. Another thing to consider, some of that $835 per month goes to pay down the loan and therefore increases my equity and therefore increases my net worth. That amount is $256 per month. So here are the updated numbers. I could have continued just paying $785 a month to continue to rent my apartment, or I could spend $883 per month to own, PMI is included because I didn't have the 20%, but $256 of that goes back into my pocket as home equity every month. So if you wanted to compare apples to apples, so to speak, and compare the money that is leaving my net worth per month for me to live somewhere. My home cost me the $883 per month minus the $256 in equity, so the cost to own is $627 a month versus the $785 per month in rent. So in my case, it was cheaper for me to buy this house than it was for me to rent my old apartment. Because of all that math, I moved out and purchased a home as soon as my lease was up. There is one other thing that I did to make this a better deal for me to own than it was for me to rent. All of the previous numbers I just gave you were the actual numbers if I went with a 30-year mortgage. So in the United States, 30 years is the longest time you can take to pay off your mortgage. It's the longest term of the loan that you can get. Due to how the math and the interest calculations, how that all works, the longer you are paying on any debt, not just a home, the longer you are paying the more interest you are going to be charged. Because of that, I decided to go with a 20-year mortgage. While paying off the loan sooner means I'll pay less in interest, it also means that my payments per month are going to be higher. The reason for that is that you have to pay more per month, so that way you can pay down more of the loan per month and pay off the house 10 years sooner. Remember that your mortgage payment gets split into five different parts. One of those is the principal paydown, and that is actively going to pay down your loan. If your mortgage payment goes up as a result of you choosing to go with less than a 30-year mortgage, because your mortgage payment goes higher, every dollar of that that makes it higher goes straight towards principal. Your PMI, your taxes, everything else is still the same, but the higher payment goes towards principal. Now, if you remember in my calculation, I subtracted out the cost of principal because that's the amount that goes into your pocket. So because of that, the numbers here don't change. The comparison is still $627 per month to buy versus $785 to rent because although the payment is higher, that higher amount goes towards principal, which I subtract out because that's not really a cost to me. That's going right back into my pocket. So even though I went with a 20-year, the rest of those numbers are still accurate. But most people will go with a 30-year loan, so I decided to use those numbers to show that's what that's going to look like. Everything you just heard has been the framework of how I personally approached the renting versus buying question. Please keep in mind that just because it is my way does not mean it is the only way, and it certainly does not mean that it's the right way for you. These numbers can change very easily, depending on the interest rates you can get for a home loan, the values of home in your area, how cheap the apartments are in your area. 
even within your city. If you're going from an apartment to a $150,000 house, the math might tell you that buying is the right answer. But if you did that same comparison with your apartment and a $200,000 house, renting might come out on top. If the first house you try to run these numbers with shows that buying is better than renting, please remember that that calculation is comparing your current apartment versus that specific house. Doing the comparison once and having it come out that buying is better does not mean that buying any house in your city or town is better than renting. This math compares your apartment versus this house that you are looking at the numbers for. If the price change, if the taxes change, if the interest rate changes, all of that affects these numbers. So you should look at that for each individual house you're looking at and not necessarily do it once and then say, okay, in my area, buying is always better because all these numbers are very fickle. Make sure you're running your numbers on every house you're thinking about buying. A good, easy way to do these comparisons is to use sites like Realtor.com and Zillow.com. Both of these will provide estimates of principal, interest, taxes, insurance, and even PMI. Keep in mind that these are estimates, and talking to a lender is going to give you better results. It is going to give you results that are closer to what the actuals are going to be. But Realtor and Zillow do get you close enough to where you can figure out and get a ballpark figure of if you should buy versus rent. Always remember to stay in a reasonable price range. Do not try to overextend yourself to buy a house because, oh, it's an asset, it's going to appreciate. Don't fall into that trap. Because while some of that principal is going into your pocket, you can only access that when you sell. So if you buy a house and your mortgage payment is $2,000 a month, as far as your monthly cash flow is concerned, you are still losing $2,000 a month. So make sure you look at your cash flow and make sure that you can afford those payments. Also, I mentioned it before, but once you own a home, you are responsible for maintenance costs. Every light bulb that goes out, you have to replace. Every floorboard that comes up, you have to replace. So make sure you have your emergency fund solid before you buy a house, because chances are you're going to need it. And with that, we're going to go ahead and close out the show. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. If you liked hearing my actual numbers instead of me just making up some examples, let me know and we'll see if we can't work that out to where we can do that again in the future. Something that I'm planning on doing over the next week is to make an amortization table, which is a schedule of paying off a loan that shows how much interest you'll pay. And then I'm going to go ahead and post a YouTube video that shows you how it works and how to use it. I'll also be uploading the spreadsheet that I use in that video to the show's Google Drive account so that you guys can download your own copy, plug in the numbers for your house or a house you're planning on buying, and see how those numbers work out. Also be on the lookout for next week's episode where I release the interview with investing professional Jeff Porter, and he talks to us about asset classes and diversification. Until then, make good decisions, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Main Street Finance Podcast. Have a question on today's topics or have suggestions for future episodes? Send an email to mainstfinance at gmail.com. Sharing is caring, so if you learned something new and useful today, make sure you share with friends and family. Don't forget to like and subscribe to be notified of new episodes. For demonstrations and more examples, be sure to check out the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time.